What's up, Gator Nation? Quick disclaimer before we get going today. This episode was recorded, edited, and published prior to any news being released about a COVID-19 outbreak within the Florida program, and thus any announcements of a postponed game. Because of this, these topics were not discussed in the episode, and the Florida LSU game was discussed as though it was set to be played as scheduled on Saturday, October 17th. However, Johnny Townsend was very generous with his time, and our discussion with him was much broader than just the Florida LSU game. Therefore, regardless of what winds up happening to the Florida LSU game, this is still a relevant discussion that we feel was worth publishing at this time. We kindly ask that you listen to this episode with that in mind, and we thank you for understanding. Stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the episode. Go Gators! Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hump Day, and welcome to episode 14 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm Casey Hampton, and I'm stepping in as the host again today. Dustin Smith has a family matter that he has to attend to, and he couldn't be here with us today. So, of course, we've got In All Kinds of Weather founder and lead writer, Neil Shulman, here with us today. You can follow Neil on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, and you can follow him on Instagram under the same tag, and of course, on in all kinds of weather.com. Neil, how's it going today? It's going great, man. Um, good to have you back after your car got bashed. Um, yeah, well, it, uh, we won't go there. It was just not a good weekend all around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as Neil just mentioned, I uh, wasn't able to join the recap, but the game happened. Uh, it's disheartening, and I will even say it's downright infuriating. Uh, I needed about a good hour and a half to digest. There was no defense on the field, and there's no defense of what was on the field. So we're going to move on uh, to our next opponent, uh, the LSU Tigers. Uh, We've got a very special guest here today, and he knows a thing or two about beating LSU. Uh, But before we bring him on, we have to do a shout-out to our sponsors. So, Neil, take it away. Yeah, so as always, shout-out to our partner organization, the Gator Good Foundation. I think anybody who's ever been to the Swamp, Florida fan or not, knows just how special it is. And the sad reality is that not everybody has the means to get themselves to the Swamp and live that special experience. So our job at the Gator Good Foundation is to make it happen for those who are less fortunate. It's really an awesome thing to be a part of because in in a time of such mass turmoil in our country, this is one of the few things that pretty much everyone agrees is awesome. Anyway, we don't feel it's responsible to bring someone to a game in 2020, but the Gator Good Foundation is looking for candidates to provide with a virtual experience this year. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. That is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And second, a shout out goes to our sponsor, Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, I can give you two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. There's not really a better way to thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So 
not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. Now, of course, we love our sponsors, but we're all really here for our guest. And he is, without exaggeration, probably the best at his position that Florida has ever had. And if you don't believe me, let's take a look at the statistics. This man had the single highest career punt average in SEC history with 46.2 yards per punt. He was a two-time All-American in 2016 and 2017, a three-time All-SEC selection in 2015, 2016, and 2017. He led the NCAA with 47.9 yards per punt in 2016, which is also Florida's all-time record for yards per punt in a season. And again, averaged a very healthy 47 and a half yards per punt in 2017. And more relevant for our purposes, he had a big hand in Florida's 2016 win over LSU in Death Valley, which is a game I like to call the goal line stand from Tigerland because their band is the golden band from Tigerland. So I just, I just call it karma. Yeah, well, I, I like to be a little more creative than that with my <laughs> nicknames. Um, but anyway, in that very low-scoring game where points were at a premium, he punted five times for 52.2 yards and consistently kept that LSU offense at the wrong end of the field. If you have not guessed by now, ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to welcome Johnny Townsend onto our show today. Johnny, thank you so much for taking the time. How's everything going for you these days? It's going good. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk a little football. Hey, by, by the way, something really cool. I met your mom at Missouri in 2017. I noticed she had the button on. And I was like, oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm from Orlando as well. So, you know, we had, we had a conversation about that. So I went to Lake Brantley. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, I'm a Boone guy. I'm in Orlando right now, actually. I just had dinner with my parents. Nice. Oh, very nice. nice. Yeah, your mom was super cool. Oh, she talks to everybody at those games. <laughs> she did. She did. So yeah, she. I think I got a picture of her on my Instagram. But yeah, she was. She was super cool. So. Oh, that's awesome! I love that. Yeah, I've always wanted to have you on because uh, I'm a big proponent of special teams. So and especially uh, with the importance that they have, and you know what we're seeing that they have now versus maybe what they had even five or ten years ago. It's important. So it's it, and you know it's easy not to notice or appreciate special teams when they're doing well. Um, but there was a time not long ago when special teams were a big problem with Florida. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But we like to start our conversations with guests with a little segment we call the lightning round, uh, which is just a quick second, a quick series of questions designed to let our listeners get to know you a little better and, and hear where you stand on certain Gator issues. So uh, without any further ado, we did this with Shay Hodge and now is going to be your turn. So what was your favorite win to be a part of as a player um, and why was it the 2016 win at LSU? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you kind of answered that one for me. Um, you know, that's, that's a legendary win uh, in the Gator history books, in my opinion. Uh, everything about that game was just picture perfect. Um, you know, finishing at the goal line stand, you know, to beat LSU 16 to 10, Death Valley, and you really can't make that one up. Um, you know, that one definitely stands out for me. Every time I think of that rivalry, and every time I think of playing in Death Valley, it's just it's hard to forget that victory. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty special day. I remember I went uh, I went nuts uh, that day when, when that happened, as I think anybody that lived in Florida did. But do you have any other wins just to give you a chance to answer it on your own that stand out? Yeah, for sure. I think that old Miss game in the Swamp 
when they came and they were playing against us, had Will Greer quarterback, and and we just laid it on them and, and really kind of set the tone there. That, w- that was just a special win. Couldn't could never forget that one either. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, what was your favorite play in your Gator career? Oh, that's tough, actually. You know, a lot of my p- favorite plays are ones that I wasn't even a part of, to be honest. Um, like the Hail Mary to beat Tennessee with Felipe Franks launching the ball downfield. Um, you know, some plays are ones that I wasn't even a part of that are some of my favorite plays. Um, you know, ones like that, the, the, the environment in the stadium is just – is something that you just really re- can't recreate. And, um, you know, I think, honestly, that Hail Mary to beat Tennessee is one of my favorite plays in my entire career, even though I wasn't a part of it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I was there that day. I uh, drove down, and, you know, right after Irma had, had hit, um, seeing all the damage going up the Florida Turnpike, it was a pretty special day. Uh, pretty well, wait a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hijack this segment. Sorry, Casey, but you were a part of both of these games that I'm going to mention. So it's several years later. Both seasons are well in the books no longer can recentism or emotion play any sort of role in the answer to this question. Now that we're able to look back at both of these plays from, from a purely historical perspective, which 63 yard touchdown pass to beat Tennessee was more special Greer to Callaway in 2015 or Frank's to Cleveland in 2017. Oh man. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Franks to Tyree in 17. This uh, you're just saying a prayer before the ball is snapped, and there was just you know some sort of strange essence in the stadium. As soon as that ball left Felipe's hands, it went silent, and um, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. And the moment Tyree caught that ball in the end zone, clock hit zero, game, and you know that feeling was just can't be recreated. There was nothing like it. Just running down the field and dogpiling with your teammates to beat Tennessee, it was just really special. It's pretty awesome to be there as a as a fan. I can only imagine that as a player. Um, so now that you've – since you've been uh, gone from Florida, what was your favorite win uh, to watch after your playing days were over? Um, you know, after you leave the program, uh, pretty much any win or any victory that you see is just phenomenal. Um, you know, the emotional attachment isn't the same when you're watching from a fan's perspective. Uh, but, you know, I still feel like I'm really a part of that team. Um, you know, just being a Gator and being there for five years – uh, wearing that orange and blue is something that will just stick with me for a lifetime. So, you know, I still feel like I'm part of the team, but, you know, from a fan's perspective, um, it is slightly different. But anytime you squeak out a win, it just uh, makes me ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Uh, so what was your favorite stadium uh, not named the Swamp to play in? Uh, that's tough. You know, every SEC stadium is special. I mean, the environment in the SEC is, is uh, you know, unlike any other conference in all of college football. Um, but you know, something about death Valley, a night game in death Valley, um, just all of those fans are all rowdy and riled up. And, uh, you know, we had some fans, you know, throwing food at us and drinks and, you know, screaming at us, cuss words, all sorts of stuff. And, um, they were definitely the most rowdy and aggressive fans. And I just love being in that stadium. Yeah, there's nothing like it. So which stadium is louder death Valley or the swamp at their loudest? Uh, you can't beat the swamp. Yeah, Swamp thinks we win on that one any day. <laughs> How many other guys think that LSU is the loudest stadium? Like uh, just people I've met in the NFL that have played in Death Valley or even LSU players, um, they always try to say LSU's louder, but I really think the Swamp is, is unparalleled. I think it's a special place. So I'm going to hijack Casey's lightning round segment yet again, and I'm going to throw in a topical addition to the lightning round. In your mind, who's DBU? Florida or LSU, just to set the stage <laughs> this week. 
I might be a little biased, but I got facts on my side too. So Florida Gators, DBU. <laughs> That's, That's what awesome. I like to hear. All right. So the last lightning round question, and it's twofold. What's your favorite home jersey combo as a Gator and your favorite road jersey combo? And I, I will preface this with I saw you wearing the Swamp uniform, the swamp uniforms before A&M in 2017. So I'm hoping that's not one of the answers, but if it is, I will still respect you. <laughs> that was certainly a, a different uniform combination there. Um, but, you know, I grew up a Gator fan. Both my parents went to UF, and so they took me up to games just, you know, as a kid. So I really got to just watch the Gators and – um, I always just evaluated their uniforms and was in love with their uniforms. And one of the combinations that I just was in love with was the blue on blue. Um, I love the blue jersey, blue pants, orange helmets. I think that was just, um, you know, one of the best uniform combinations I've ever seen. And, you know, I vividly remember the first time I ever got to wear that uniform. Um, if you remember Alex McAllister, uh, he was sitting in the locker right next to me in the locker room. And as soon as I put it on, I just, you know, I got goosebumps. And it was just a special moment for me. But uh, my favorite game combination, I really like the orange helmet, orange pants, white jersey. Uh, some of them about that one. I just uh, think it's a clean look. And, um, yeah, I really like to wear that uniform combination. Yeah, that, uh, that's definitely one of my favorites, too. So, Johnny, why don't, you, why don't you tell us what you've been up to since you left Florida? And I know there's a foundation that you started that I think our listeners could benefit from hearing about. Definitely, yeah. So, uh, going into my last season in Florida, um, you know, I had the opportunity to – uh, really have a platform in the Gainesville community to, uh, you know, do, do some community service and uh, launch some community service efforts. And uh, I got really close with the people at Chance Hospital through Goodwill Gators, which was kind of a community outreach program for the student athletes. And, um, you know, after developing some relationships with the people at Chance, I, I wanted to try to find something I could do to give back to them. And uh, so you know, after my last season at, at Florida ended and the NCAA, you know, allowed me to, uh, you know, kind of use my likeness and, and abilities to, to give back. Um, you know, I launched the Johnny Townsend Fund to directly benefit uh, Shan's Pediatric Oncology Unit. Uh, they were in the process of renovating that uh, that year. And um, so I did a couple fundraising events in Gainesville. And uh, most recently, uh, I was actually up there a couple months ago um, delivering meals to some of the hospital workers at Shan's. Um, so I stay involved as much as I can with fundraising, either, you know, through social media efforts or public initiatives. And um, yeah, I just, I really love the people there. I love the community sense they have. And um, you know, Gainesville is still my home and I like to do as much as I can to help out Chance. That's awesome. Um, it, how can people find you either, uh, through your foundation or how can people find you on social media? For sure. Yeah. Well, I have all the links to, uh, my foundation, uh, website listed in my social media bios. It's in both my Twitter and my Instagram bios. Um, but if you're just straight up searching it on the internet, uh, the best thing to do is just type in Johnny Townsend fund, F U N D, and that will directly link you to, uh, the website I have set up with Shans Hospital, and it kind of has a background of uh, who I am and and what I like to do and um, what my passion is. And there's some links on there to directly uh, donate if you if you guys would be generous. So I would really appreciate that. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Johnny, I gotta I gotta say I was so distraught when it didn't work out with you and the Giants, and then again with the Ravens because that's fairly close to me. But I'm a Giants fan, so I really wanted that to work out. Oh, um, but where's I mean, how's the back? How's the leg? How's, um, I mean, are you looking to make a comeback at the NFL? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, last year I had that back injury with the Giants. Um, I missed pretty much the entire season. It was kind of a freak deal, a pretty unfortunate situation. Um, you know, I got cleared medically and um, got signed by the Ravens, was with them for a while. And, um, you know, I'm still having opportunities and uh, going to see that field again. So I'm just uh, just training and staying ready for that next phone call. 
Dude, if I have to make a call down to uh, the Jaguars, you just let me know. I will uh, be happy to call because that yeah, stadium sure. was was quite good to you for and the Gators for a little while. So. Yeah, it sure was. Good to see you back yeah, I think in. I had a career, career long punt of seventy yards there. I was there for that game. <laughs> so I do remember that. Yeah. So with that said, let's bring the conversation to the present and let's talk about the current Florida team. The motto of this podcast is to keep it respectful, but to keep it real. And keeping it real in the case of this 2020 team means acknowledging that things aren't going swimmingly right now. But Casey and I express our thoughts on this team 24-7. I mean, that's our job running this podcast. We, that's all we do on Twitter. We talk Gator football. So people know our thoughts. So we wanted to get your thoughts on this team. What have you liked? What have you not liked? And where do you think this team stands relative to where it ultimately wants to be this year? Yeah, I think, um, you know, without talking about the loss we had last week, we're definitely a top five team. Uh, you know, rankings aside, we are a top five football team um, in all phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. Um, you know, from a production standpoint, that will come. But, you know, from the players, uh, we have all the talent in the world. And I have all the faith in that coaching staff that they're going to prepare those guys each week to continue to play at that level of being a top five football team. For sure. So you were, you were obviously one of Florida's um, greatest punters, if not the greatest punter in Florida history, probably tied between you and your brother. Um, and it came on the heels of some special teams um, adventures. Uh, we'll just call it that. Uh, for the most part, Florida's had pretty good special teams since you got since you got here and then your brother holding down the fort afterwards and guys like Eddie Pinheiro and now Evan McPherson being pretty much dead accurate in the kicking game. Um, and we can sit here and say special teams matter or as my buddy Nick Delator says, punters are people too um, for that and so on, but you lived it. You know better than most. In a topsy-turvy season like 2020 and what we've had so far, not only in the SEC, but across the country, but specifically in talking about Florida, what kind of role have you noticed that special teams playing both in Florida games specifically, but also in college football around the country? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, until recently, there really hadn't been much emphasis on special teams across all of college football. But I think as time is going on and um, even social media is being, becoming more uh, you know, relevant, I think people are really starting to realize how important the hidden field position is when it comes to the punting game and how critical you know, having a good kicker can be to winning football games. And, um, you know, like you said, um, you know, Florida's historically always had really good special teams. And, uh, you know, if you flip on the tape, you can, you can actually break down game film and see how, uh, you know, field position and uh, big field goals have kept us in and won us football games. And, um, you know, I'd like to continue to see that as a trend for Florida in the future. And um, Evan McPherson is a stud, man. He's lights out every time he hits the field. I, everybody, everybody saw the last game how, you know, we, we drove down the field and he, he drilled that 50-something yard field goal to tie the game. And, um, you know, having, having players that can make plays like that on the special team side, you know, of the ball game is, is huge and critical for the Gators. And, I mean, his, his range. I mean, I was at the Ole Miss game and watching him. I mean, he had a 55-yard field goal. That thing could have made it from 65 yards. I mean, there was a good, you know, 10 yards that were still behind that kick if he, if he needed it to be. But um, just a follow-up question. You know, people, we understand what maybe the offensive line and the defensive line do in practice every day, but what's, what's a practice like for you as a special, as a member of the special teams? 
Sure, it's a, it's a little more laid back than what uh, the skill positions are doing, uh, but we also play a different role. We're more of a technical position, and uh, we, we rely a lot on, you know, having a fresh leg and being very technically sound. Um, it's always easiest to compare a kicker or a punter to a, a pitcher in baseball or, or even a golfer. You know, I like to say, like, from the pitching perspective, you can't go out and throw bullpens or throw full games every day, um, you know, because it really puts a lot of wear and tear on your limbs. Um, so kickers, you know, they have a more laid back position, but it also, I think it kind of puts more pressure on them as well. I mean, you got majority of the players joke around at practice, like, oh, you guys don't do anything. You don't do anything. But the weight of the world is on their shoulders when they go out there to kick a game winning field goal and um, everybody's going to be depending on them. So, uh, but you know, normal preparation for, for a game week um, when I was at Florida or even in the NFL is, is uh, like I said, pretty laid back. Um, you're limiting your kicks, you're focusing on the drill work, uh, you're breaking down film. And um, you're making sure that when you hit that field, you're technically sound and as fresh as possible. So my last follow-up question to that, you know, your brother was used a few times for fake punts. Um, most memorably, I would say both against Miami and against Vanderbilt. And Neil has a steel trap mind uh, with this. I, I can't recall a play where you ever used for a fake punt, but what, what goes into that when a, when a coach says, hey, we're going to pull the trigger on this? What, what goes into that? Well, he did in the pros. He did with the Raiders. Okay. It worked very well. So, but what, what goes into that when a coach, I mean, is that something you practice or is that something that, you know, the coach just kind of comes up and says, is that something that you work on? What goes into that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a combination of all those things you just listed. It's, it's something you work on. Um, it's something that's either called on the field or it's something um, that's planned to be called on the field. Um, so going into each game, um, the game plan will consist of uh, maybe one or two fakes, one field goal fake, one punt fake. And a lot of the times there'll be a week to week thing. Um, there'll be very versatile fakes that can be ran against any team. And um, the majority of the teams will give us looks to run it. And so we'll practice it during the week. We'll practice the scheme um, depending on which team we're playing. And a lot of the times the fake will be called, you know, kind of on a whim. Uh, you've got all the guys up in the skybox that, um, have a really good, clear look of things, and we'll kind of just voice down to the coach on the field. And, uh, you know, in most cases, it'll be, you know, you're running onto the field, and the coach will just kind of grab you and be like, hey, run it. We got the look. Uh, they're giving us the look. Um, but the fake I ran in the NFL um, against the Chargers, I had a 42-yard run down the left side of the field. Um, I had got out onto the field, and my coach whistled over to me and said, just take a look. And I took a look for it, and um, – you know, the edge was there and I just kind of ran with it. So, you know, I think there are some fakes that are kind of pre-called before you get on the field. And then there are some that are just kind of there that they give the punter the opportunity to just kind of make the call. And I think we know why I asked that this week yeah. before the opponent, just because the Florida LSU rivalry has uh, certainly been come down to special teams and fakes that have broken Gators fans' hearts over the years. So there's a reason why I asked that this week. <laughs> I know both teams got some fakes in the bag and uh, you know, hopefully we'll see them run some. I will say before I move on uh, to my next question, with apologies to Casey, NFL Red Zone is my best friend on Sundays. Sorry, dude. Um, I, I, hey, man, but, I'm a jack. So but lets me down every year. The point is, Scott Han. I mean, I watch a lot of Scott Hansen on Red Zone. He couldn't believe what he was seeing when you were taking out down the left sideline. He thought you were a quarterback when you took off. He's like <laughs> that, and that's. Derek Carr? Wait, no, that's that. No, Derek Carr's not the punter for the. Wait, what? What is happening? Oh, that's. I'm getting weird that that's Johnny Townsend, the punter, who's just taken off down the left sideline. He just got for 42 yards. 
So that was, that was quite enjoyable. I'm not going to forget that. Um, but anyway, I have a similar question, this time changing the tense a little bit. Instead of looking back at the history of the Florida-LSU rivalry and all the special teams for Florida and LSU, let's talk about this week. In a sense, Florida and LSU are carbon copies of each other. Both teams have offenses that can put up a whole bunch of points, and both teams have defenses that have talent for sure, but defenses that, to be blunt, have let them down this year so far. So in a game where the two teams have the same strengths and the same weaknesses, it just feels like special teams is going to play a big role, like it did last week against Texas A&M. So in your unbiased opinion, I know you're, you're a Gator, you bleed orange and blue, got it. But in your unbiased opinion, who do you think has the edge on special teams, Florida or LSU? Um, I definitely think Florida does. Um, I know they have a great special teams coordinator that's, that's game planning every week the right way. And I have more faith um, in the guys that are going on the field because, you know, I've had the chance to work with them. Um, I know Evan McPherson really well. I know what kind of player he is. I know Jacob Finn really well. Um, I've played with him for several years at Florida. And uh, I know those, what those guys are capable of, and I know they can go out and make plays for the Gators to help them win games. So we do want to move on and talk about the game in a more broad sense. But first, I've got one more special teams question for you because there's been so much special teams craziness in this rivalry, which we briefly mentioned, but it's worth going into a little more because there's such a long list of key special teams plays that have made a difference in various games in this rivalry's history. Uh, 2006, early Doucette fumbles the second half kickoff and Trenton Holiday has to fall on it for a safety. 2008, Brandon James busts a 40-yard punt return. 2010, LSU beats Florida with a fake field goal when I hate recalling this, but when Derek Helton blindly flings the ball back behind his head and it takes a soccer ball bounce and Josh Jasper picks it up and runs for it, a first down, you know, which sets up Jarrett Lee hitting Terrence Tolliver on the fade in the left corner of the end zone. God, that play still drives me bonkers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, LSU calls a fake punt in 2011. Florida's completely caught off guard, so Brad Wing runs it all the way in for a touchdown. It would be called back because Wing taunted Florida on his way to the end zone. Side note, I think that's ridiculous. If you don't like it, do something to stop it. But anyway, moving on. 2014, LSU kicker Colby Delahousse hits a walk-off 50-yard field goal. 2015, LSU kicker Trent Deming takes off for a 16-yard touchdown on a fake field goal. 2016, finally, LSU gets burned by special teams. Um, I mean, first holder, Josh Grodin, I think it was, bobbled a snap on a chip shot field goal, and his desperation heave falls incomplete. And on the next play, we all know what happens. Tyree Cleveland catches a 98-yard touchdown from Austin Appleby. And later in the game, Dante Jackson fumbled the ball on a kick return, and Florida kicked the field goal off of that to make it 16-10. Side note there, really like that mannequin challenge you did with Eddie Pinheiro. And that forced LSU to have to score a touchdown on its last drive instead of just a field goal. And in 2017, well, I, I know it's kind of a sore spot for you, but let's just say special teams definitely played a role in that game. So the point of all that oral history is that when we say special teams has played a role in this rivalry, it's literally decided games. So my question for you is, knowing just how critical a role special teams has historically had in this rivalry, do you think Mullen is spending any more time than usual emphasizing it this week? 
Um, you know, I wouldn't think they are more than, you know, any other week. Um, you know, Coach Mullen does such a good job of, of emphasizing the game plan and, and um, you know, really putting a lot on the players to make sure they're prepared. And um, I know each and every week that he goes into either an SEC game or a non-conference game um, or a bowl game, whatever it may be, he's preparing the same way, covering all phases and covering all phases with an intent. And uh, you know, I think they're going to do a good job in all phases. So I think we've beaten special teams. <laughs> Just we've beaten special teams out of you tonight um, because that's obviously where you shine and why we right. wanted you on uh, because we believe – that special teams is going to play a huge role in this game. And I'm really glad Neil uh, reached out to get you finally after years of asking about this, because as I said, to start special teams is super important to me. And, you know, I look to punts and to field goals, you know, as a huge part of the game, but let's step back um, and zoom out and look at the big picture this weekend, looking at LSU and Florida as a whole. So all sides of the ball and on the sidelines, what are your first impressions of the game? Yeah, so I actually think LSU kind of reminds me um, – I think Florida kind of reminds me of LSU as they were last year. Um, I think they, you know, rely heavily on their offense to kind of just, uh, you know, go downfield and, and win games with their offense. They got a gunslinger quarterback. They got a lot of tools, you know, at wide out, a lot of offensive weapons. And um, right now their objective is just to outscore, outscore their opponents. And uh, I think they got, you know, similar defensive uh, situation to what LSU did, you know, last year as well. You know, they're giving up some yards, but – um, you know, it's still really early in the season. And, uh, you know, I got a ton of faith in Coach Grantham in that defense. Uh, they got all, all the talent in the world. They got every, every, everybody they need to win football games defensively. You know, so I really wouldn't panic yet when it comes to, you know, our defensive struggles. Um, coach Grantham's a great coach. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, Florida just kind of reminds me of LSU's D, uh, offense last year where they're just outscoring their opponents. So I think if we just step it a little bit, little bit um, up defensively, we'll be just fine. Do you think there are any weaknesses on either side of the ball that will come back to haunt either team this weekend from what you've seen? Sure. You know, from what I've seen, I don't think there's going to be any physical weaknesses that will expose these teams. I think it'll be all mental weaknesses. I mean, we're both coming off of losses. And, uh, you know, oftentimes what really you know, determines the strength of a team is how they respond to those losses. Um, teams will either come out flat or they'll be coming out ready to play. And, um, you know, aside from that, one of the biggest things that will play in, into this game, I think, will be the crowd. Um, we really don't have that home field advantage like we normally do with, you know, the COVID restrictions on number of fans and, um, you know, just not having that noise in the swamp, um, you know, I think will be difficult for us because that's always been one of our biggest advocates when playing these, these big conference games. So you mentioned Todd Grantham, and he's definitely what I'd call a buzzword among Gator fans right now. A lot of Gator fans want him fired. A lot of people have, to be blunt, had enough of this high-risk, high-reward defense that isn't getting that high reward this year. But you have said clearly that you have faith in him. So I, I think we can all agree he's not going to get fired, regardless of what a random person wants or thinks. That's not going to happen. He will be staying the rest of the year. So since he is staying, what do you think he's got to do to get this defense turned around? Sure. Well, you know, it, as a Gator fan, um, we get a little bit caught up in the idea sometimes of always having this dominant defense. I mean, I can't remember the last time that Florida hasn't had one of the most dominant defenses in the country. So that's a luxury that we've always kind of had. And, um, you know, with, uh, you know, playoff and championship hopes, you know, in the picture this year, um, I think, you know, as a fan, um, I think these fans are just expecting nothing less than, than continuing to have that dominant defense. 
Um, cause that's never been a weakness for us. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I have all the faith in the world in coach Grant. I mean, it's still early in the season. Um, I think a lot can still shake out and, um, you know, I know, you know, they're upstairs in the offices, you know, trying to look at personnel and, you know, figuring out, trying to make some changes on that, you know, that end of it. But, um, you know, I would just hold tight and see how this thing plays out. You know, we got all the tools sitting there for us. We got all the talent in the world on defense. And um, those guys just got to get a little confidence and play. What do you think will give them that confidence before they hit the field Saturday? Um, you know, for me, I think one of my favorite parts of this football team is the strength and conditioning staff. Those guys are an electric factory. And um, they do a great job in the locker room of hyping up the players, uh, getting them focused, getting them honed in on the objectives and uh, getting them ready to run out there and run through a brick wall. And I think if, uh, you know, those guys can really just kind of get, um, you know, all the same energy level and go out and play, they're going to be just fine. Because, um, you know, it might just be a confidence thing. I don't think it's a physical thing. Um, it might just be a confidence thing. But So we'll see how they respond coming off this loss. But um, I have all the faith in the world in those guys. Every clip that I've ever seen of Nick Savage makes me, makes me undoubtedly sure that he is the right guy for the job. <laughs> Um, but it also makes me think that uh, he might be uh, certifiably insane. But <laughs> and I can't decide which one's which. But uh, he's definitely and Neil can attest on this podcast. I have said that guy is the MVP. Neil, um, yeah, Nick yes. Savage is the MVP. We have we have um, previously and multiple times made a point to go out of our way to say that Nick Savage is the MVP of Florida football. The only one who's even close is Lee Begley. We think those two are, are the keys that make this thing run. For I don't sure. know if either one of you watched that HBO special where they went with the Gators inside the Gators for a week and just watching him go off, <laughs> go off yeah. um, at like four in the morning. Dude, where do you get that at four in the morning? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he's different man he's different um i want to move from the strength and conditioning staff to the head guy dan mullen i know you didn't play for him but your brother did and i know that you do have some familiarity with him i think that every gator fan who meets the standard of being a reasonable human being would agree that the net result of him taking over the program has been very much positive i think the consensus is that he's done a good job I don't think there's a rational person out there who thinks he's in any real danger of being fired or even on the hot seat or anything like that. And I do think that any sort of talk along those lines is pretty much disqualifying in terms of ever taking the person who utters it seriously. But on the other hand, I do wonder just how big this game is on Saturday for him and the program as a whole. What do you think that a win would mean for the state of the program and how close do you think a win would put the Gators toward where they ultimately want to be as a team? I think it'll really shift the tides. I mean, um, I think that loss last week kind of killed our momentum. Uh, we all had high hopes top five team. Um, but that loss definitely kind of just killed our momentum a little bit, but um, this win will put us right back on track. Uh, win over LSU, uh, defending national champs. No, I think it'll get us right back on track and regain that momentum. Anytime you win a game, it's huge. But uh, Coach Mullen is undoubtedly the guy for this job. Um, he's shown time and time again that uh, he's capable of uh, winning football games in the Swamp and in the SEC. And uh, he's done it in the past. You know, last time he was at Florida, he's, he's a championship ball coach. And uh, when he came in, I was so upset because I would have loved to suit up and play under him. Uh, he's really just kind of restored the order of this program and 
uh, restore the culture of, of the winning culture of the Gators. And, um, but you know, to him, um, you know, his expectations are so high. He knows how good his team is, how good his staff is. And, uh, you know, to win a game like that, it's definitely exciting, but it's expected. And that's kind of his mindset, which I love. Um, you know, you're expected to beat LSU. You're expected to beat Georgia, you know, especially when you're the Florida Gators. And um, he's done a great job of, of restoring that and restoring that faith and confidence in the program. And, you know, I just – I really love that mentality about him, definitely. Awesome. So I did have one more generic question for you before we get to our big finale of the show. Fans are always going to be super vocal on social media because, well, for better or worse, the Gator Nation is a very passionate fan base. They love their football and they want to see their Gators win. How much did you as a player check social media to see what people were saying about you and the team during your time at Florida, both after wins and after losses? Sure. You know, after a loss, you actually pay more attention to what those people say than after a win. Because uh, unfortunately, the way it is, I mean, for some reason, um, the majority of athletes pay attention to the critics. And, um, you know, some use it as fuel and some let it tear them down. I know definitely after some games um, where, you know, we, we didn't have the outcome we wanted, the first thing I would do is, you know, check social media and just see what people are saying, see what the fan base is thinking. And, and I would also do the same thing after, you know, good games. If I go out and average 55 yards on five points, I'd like to go on Twitter and, you know, feel good about myself. So, I think regardless of the outcome, people are going to be checking social media. Um, you're going to have angry fans if we lose, happy fans if we win, and unsatisfied fans if we win. But I definitely think, you know, those guys pay attention to that social media stuff, and it definitely plays a role in it. The only time I did not log into social media after a loss was uh, Georgia of 2017. I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. I didn't want to hear whatever, whatever was on people's minds. I didn't want to know. So that whole day. Georgia Southern in 2013. Ooh. Yeah, you were there. You were a part of that too. People forget, uh, but you nope. were Never you were on that forget. team too. <laughs> no, no, no. Thankfully, those days are behind us now. We got Dan Mullen. We're a top ten program. That's all the past. Well, Johnny, we've really enjoyed having you on the show, and now it's time for what I consider to be the best part and my favorite part of our podcast. We close our shows with a little something we call The Verdict, which is where we go around and we give a key to the game, and then we all go around again and give our score predictions, college game day style, uh, except we're not at uh, Lee Corso's pool in Orlando. <laughs> so first, we'll give mm-hmm. our keys. We're going to have Go- Johnny, you're going to go first uh, because you're our guest, then Neil, and then I'll go. So, Johnny, what are your keys to the game against LSU this weekend? Sure. You know, I think uh, the biggest key is, is going to continue to be able to produce offensively. Um, you know, we're going to need to continue to go downfield, have big drives, and score at the end of those drives. And then, uh, you know, when we hand the ball back to LSU, we have to make those stops on defense. Uh, we're going to have to step it up in the front and in the secondary and, and make the big plays when we need to defensively. Do you have an MVP of the game? I'll trash. All right. Yeah, I like it. I like it. People don't remember that you were his teammate because it's very hard to remember that. But he was right. here I in 16. I played with him for several years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was here since 16, and people don't remember that, but it, it happens. It's true. So for me, the key is the turnover battle. As much as I would love to believe that Florida's defense just flips a switch and plays like the 2008 defense or the 2012 defense even, probably not going to happen. I've made peace with the fact that as long as Todd Grantham is here, his defense is going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points because 
his defense is predicated on making big plays to make up for that. But Florida's only forced one in each of their first three games. They haven't seen those types of havoc guys step up and really make plays in bunches the way his defense really needs to in order to succeed. For this high-risk, high-reward defense to work, Florida's got to force multiple turnovers. So Florida's got to create some of those big plays to take away a possession here or there and let their offense build up a lead. And and then there's the other side of that. Florida's got to take care of the football. For the most part, the Gators have done that this year, but they lost the Texas A&M game because Malik Davis put it on the ground. And with the way our defense has looked so far, you can't do that. So I'll say whoever wins the turnover battle wins the game because these are two very evenly matched teams. The offenses are both explosive and the defenses are both suspect, we'll call them. And that's that's probably the nicest way to put that. So in such an evenly matched game, it's going to be who can create a short field for their offense and let their defense get off the field without giving up points. And whoever does that more wins the game. Uh, I'm going to say this not because our guest is on the show. I'm going to say special teams um, because we haven't seen uh, very many punts uh, this season. And the last the punt that we saw Jacob Finn have at in Oxford against Ole Miss was great. The punt that we saw this past weekend was not so great. So, and you know, Johnny was talking earlier on the show about how you know staying fresh and staying you know mentally in the game. I think we're going to have more punts in this game just because it is a rivalry game. The emotions run high on both sides. I would argue that Florida probably had gave LSU its best game last year in, in Tiger stadium. So I think both teams are going to be stepped up on both sides of the ball. And I think it's going to come down to special teams. Can we pin LSU back on their ears and can the defense make a stop to maybe where LSU doesn't get to the red zone one or two times. And we, we do get there one or two times and we win because of that. So I'm going to say special teams will be the key to this. So we are going to go and give our score predictions now. Let's go to Johnny first. So we're going to re- – I was going to reverse the order, but I'm going to have Johnny go first since he's our guest. So, uh, Johnny, if you're ready to make a pick, uh, it's, it's on you, pal. Awesome. I think you guys both made great points. I think if we win that turnover battle and really emphasize the special teams, I think UF will pull it out 42-38 in the swamp. All right. Neil? Ooh. So – We know this is going to be a close game because Florida and LSU always play close games. Five of the last six and 10 of the last 16 Florida LSU games have been decided by one possession, meaning eight points or fewer. And four of those 16 games that were decided by more than one possession were decided by two possessions, like 42-28 last year in Death Valley, which, as we know, was a back-and-forth game that Florida had a chance to win late. Only in 2008 and 2011 were the games truly blowouts in that span when Florida won 51-21 in 08 and LSU returned the favor with their own 30-point win 41-11 in 2011. To me, this feels like LSU's last stand. They're the defending national champions and they've gotten their feelings hurt a bit. They've already lost to two unranked teams in Mississippi State and Missouri. So they're one and two. And they lose this game on Saturday and I think it's quite possible that they just pack it in and call it a season because that would put them at one and three with Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, and a solid Mississippi team still to play. And hell, Arkansas 
even Arkansas isn't a sure thing anymore. That program looks a lot better than it has in recent years so far in 2020. So if LSU loses to Florida, the wheels come off, and they could be staring at four and six, hell, even three and seven, square in the face. And because of that, I'm expecting that Florida is going to have to take LSU's best shot. They're literally going to be fighting for their season. So I think they come ready to play. And I think Florida is going to find itself down early, something like 14-3 or 17-7. And I think the Gators are going to have to dig themselves out of a double-digit hole. The thing is, for me, I don't believe it's possible for this defense to play as badly as it did against Texas A&M for a second straight week. I think that Todd Grandham is going to have to make some simplifications for this defense that make it a little easier for these guys to navigate. And so I think it'll be a bumpy takeoff defensively and will look pretty bad for the first two or three drives. But then I think the defense will settle into the game and start playing better. I think our offense overcomes a slow start. Well, slow start for them, a relatively slow start and takes control of the game late. I think Florida's going to find themselves down 31-28 midway through the fourth quarter. Malik Davis gets some redemption with a go-ahead touchdown run, and then Florida's defense gets some redemption of its own with a late stop. And then Trask will throw one more touchdown pass for good measure, I'll say to Justin Shorter, for his breakout play as a Gator. So Florida will win 42-31. That's my prediction. So fun fact, since 2000, Florida – and LSU have not scored over 40 points, but for four times. In 2019, 42-28. In 2011, 41-11, uh, which was an LSU win. And 2019 was an LSU win. 2008, 51-21. And in 2001, 44-15. So uh, this is going to be an interesting LSU game because we are normally used to defensive battles um, in this series. So I think... We're not going to be in for that this year. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I am going to go with Florida 44-41 on an Evan McPherson game-winning field goal. like it. Love it. So special teams. Is, special teams. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, uh, kickers are people, too. We've already kickers established that punters are people, too. May as well. Yeah, so, kickers. How did the whole punters are people, too slogan come about? Where did that start? Gosh, I really can't remember, to be honest. I think, was it Rich Eisen that started saying that back in the draft a couple years ago? I can't remember exactly how it started, but I know there's been so many advocates for it. I know Pat McAfee's been behind it for years, and, and Nick delatore has been behind it for probably even longer. Um, so I'm not really sure where it originated from. Probably when the Jaguars drafted a punter in the third round. Um, my, <laughs> yeah. my, my beloved Jaguars tra- drafted a punter in the third round. Well, that is our show today. It was certainly a great one to be a part of and with a Gator legend, no less. We want to thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed our show, give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Our show is still pretty young and we'd appreciate it to expand our footprint. So, and lastly, Johnny, thank you so much for coming on and stopping on and reminding us that punters are people too. Um, Previewing the upcoming game or reliving some pretty awesome uh, Gator memories. So we're going to be looking to see you Uh, on the NFL field and cheering for you in the future. So thanks so much for coming on today. Awesome. I can't thank you guys enough for having me, and I hope we get to talk real soon. All right. Yeah, of course. Go Go Gators. Gators. LSU. Go Gators.